0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. So if you have a copy of it, I invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to be continuing our series on the Sermon on on, on the Mount we're going, to be, we're going to begin uh, Matthew five twenty one through twenty six. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, don't worry about it. You can take that black pew Bible. there right in front of you. And turn it to page eight ten, and you'll be able just to follow along and, and read God's Word as we dig through, as we dig into this passage together. But from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right before we even got into the actual Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter four, chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the very first statement that Jesus gives as he begins sharing the good news of the kingdom. And he says the word repent. See, that word repent means to, to rethink, to turn away from an old way of thinking or behavior. It's saying that, listen, you need to re think, you need to return and turn your back on your old way of thinking your old way of life, I have come to share something new, something better. And Jesus has been calling us to repentance really ever since. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have the, the Beatitudes. And in, that, in those verses, Jesus challenges us to rethink who is welcome in the kingdom of God. See, so often a thing, those who are powerful, have a lot of possessions, who are self-righteous, those are the people that God welcomes into his kingdom. Those are the kind of people that God, that God approves of and brings blessing to. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed, blessed are those who, from the world's standards, have nothing to offer, you're welcomed in my kingdom. And then afterwards, he says Jesus, calls us, says, Jesus calls us to rethink even our purpose here on this earth. See, for many of us, you know, we've been taught that the purpose here, why, why, why you're a place upon this earth is to gain possessions, is to enjoy life, is to get as much power, make as many memories as possible. And Jesus says, no, your mission here on this earth, while you're still here, is that you are salt and light, to bring other people, to the good news of the gospel so that your good works may glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is why we're here, to bring other people to Jesus, to help people find and follow him. And throughout his ministry, he continues to challenge our thinking and challenge the thinking of that day and says, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. And in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, there's this portion that we're going to cover over the next five or six weeks. Jesus challenges another line of thinking. Namely, who does God consider to be good in his kingdom? What type of life does God actually approve of? And the thing that I keep on wanting, that that we're going to go back to over and over again, is simply this, what does God desire for your life? What does God want with my life and with your life? What does God want us to have? What does God actually want us to, to experience See, life in the kingdom of God, when we submit to not our kingdom, but God's kingdom, should change every single aspect of our lives. To Christianity and the gospel isn't just something that you can take, yes, I believe in Jesus that he died on, died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm going to slap that on to my old way of life. And Jesus says, I want to change every single part. I want to change every single part of your life. I want to, go, I want to enter, enter into every room of your life and change everything. That's what Jesus desires for us. John 10.10 10 says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I have, this is Jesus saying, I've come not so that you'll just have eternal life and one day in heaven. I have come to change every single part of your life here and now. That is what Jesus desires for our lives. And Jesus came that you may experience life to the absolute fullest, that the power of the gospel would change you, and that you will go past the status quo of what is considered good, good in this day and age and experience all that God has for you. That, that is what Jesus wants, and that is the purpose and the motivation behind what we're going to read today. And the thing I want you, I want you to remember, because it's easy as, as, as we read this, it is easy to think Jesus is mean. It is easy to think that Jesus is just adding more rules to what we already have to follow. and You'll, you'll get what I'm, what I'm saying in a minute. But listen, the fact of the matter is this, that Jesus came not to change the rules, but to change your hearts. Jesus didn't come just to give us more things to do, more rules to follow, more rules to apply to our lives. Jesus came to change us literally from the inside out. And the power of the gospel is that he can take this dead, old, sinful heart and do something with it and change and bring life and hope and peace where there was no peace and change our hearts into what Jesus actually wants us to become, to change literally the person that we are. Church, that is the power of the gospel. The gospel isn't just that we're going to go to heaven someday. That's part of it. But the gospel is that we can become the people that God approves of now. How many of you guys want that today? I do, for sure. And that's my prayer for you guys this morning as we open up Matthew chapter 5 together. So I want to I begin by, by reading the first two verses here. So again, fo- follow along with me if you have a copy of God's word. Matthew five twenty one and 22 says this. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whew. All right. Let's, let's dig in. I love every, every, every time I preach, about Thursday or Friday, I'll, I'll sit down with my kids and we'll go over this passage, whatever passage I'm going through. Um, I figured, listen, if a five year old, two, you know, eight year olds and a 10 year old and a three year old can understand it, it's probably good for you guys. And it's good for me to kind of simplify things down. I'm not saying, not, not like a dig on you, that sounded terrible. That's not what I meant. <laughs> nope. But, well, I'm going a to be little, a little practice run. And I remember as, as I read those verses, the first one's like, first, you know, verse 21, okay, whoever doesn't kill, we're good. All right. But then if anyone insults or is angry, and I just saw their faces, like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> the last one, whoever calls someone a fool is, is liable to the hell to the fires of hell. My my daughter McKenna was like, What in the world is just happening? Well, listen, there there's a reason why why Jesus did that. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that. But the first thing that that I want you guys to understand is that listen, Jesus is Challenging the thinking of that day. See the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of that day. When it says, "But you have heard, uh, but you, but, but you have heard this of old." This is actually the oral tra- tradition that that the Jewish people passed down, and, and they said basically this: as long as you don't kill anyone, you're still good in God's eyes. He says, "As long as you don't murder someone, kill someone in cold blood with the with the intent of of." Causing them physical harm, you are actually, you can stand confidently before God and say, I've done everything that you've wanted. As long as you don't have bodies buried in your backyard, you're good to go. But Jesus says, listen, that's not the case. And again, Jesus here isn't adding more rules for us to follow, He's getting at something with our heart here. But Jesus says this next in verse 22, but I say this to you. Jesus, as the Son of God, obviously he's going to know what God wants. And he's come to proclaim to to, to his hearers here and to the rest of the world, this is what God desires for our lives. And it's not just that we don't kill people. Hopefully we don't. But it goes far beyond that. Because Jesus says this, God is more concerned with more than just murder. God is more concerned with us just taking someone's life or not, okay? And this is what Jesus gets into there. And he says, notice, here he says this in verse 22. He goes back and says, If anyone is anyone who is angry with his brother, he'll be liable to judgment. That same phrase, liable to judgment, was used back in verse 21 if you murder someone. Jesus is making a connection here that, listen, God takes anger as serious as he does murder. It's the same exact Phrase there. And then he says, but and if you insult someone, God takes that seriously too. If you if you call someone a fool, God takes that seriously as well. This is repeated in 1 John 3:15. It says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Those are strong, strong words. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean, is that if you have hatred or anger in your heart, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. I don't want you to think that, man, I hate this person, so I can't be a child of God. That's not what it says. Our faith is based, our relationship to God is based upon our faith in Jesus, not what we do. But what John is getting at here is that, listen, if you're harboring anger within your heart, you are not abiding in the eternal life that God has for you. You are not living the kind of life that God wants you to have, that God offers for you to have. You are not living the best life that God desires for you today. And church, one of the hardest things about this week for me is that God has been revealing in my heart over the last probably month and a half that I am a very angry person. You may think, but Dave, you look so happy, and you're smiling, and you're this or you're that. Inside, that is not the case. I had to do this, I'm working on this uh, counseling courses and stuff and I had to write a paper on a sin that I struggle with. And so the Lord laid on my heart this anger thing. And so I began taking notes, basically keeping a journal of every time I felt angry, every time I felt upset, every time that my expectations weren't met and even though I didn't blow up on the outside, I was blowing up on the inside. As I struggle with this immensely. And the Lord used his word this week to, for me to recognize this, this idea that I have not been living the kind of life that God has intended me to live. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here who is dealing with that. So Jesus does something here in these verses to, to help us fight against that anger. And what Jesus does is that he begins saying, listen, if you're angry with your brother, that's a serious thing. If you insult your brother, verbal verbal assault, that's a serious thing. If you call someone a fool, someone who's worthless, again, that is just as serious as murder in God's eyes. Not saying that it's the same punishment, but God takes it just as seriously. The things that I want you to recognize is that our words mean just as much as our actions. Well, let that sink in, that God watches over what we say just as much as what we do. See, that word insult and you you fool, really, they carry the, the same thrust. These aren't two different things. It is devaluing someone due to their ability or their character. It is looking at someone and saying, calling someone dumb, stupid, worthless. The list can go on and on and on. But it's saying that I wish you were dead or I'm not going to, or, or man, if I get my hands on him, I'm just going to kill them. How many of you guys have actually said that? I have recently. I think uh, Caleb, our, our youngest, was like running, was like running, running away. We are trying to get him in the car seat and that's always a struggle. But I was like, man, if I get my hands on him, I'm going to kill him. It just came out of my mouth. And I'm reading this, this week, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm a terrible person. But, guys, all of our, think about how much of our, the media intake we, we, we do is all based upon insult. Whether, whether you're watching cable news, and they're bashing whoever is, you know, the opposite party of whatever, whatever news show you're watching. One of, one of my favorite sitcoms is Everyone Loves Raymond. All it is is verbal, verbal assaults over and over and over again. Like, from a counseling standpoint, like, this is, like, Counseling gold because that family is messed up. <laughs> messed up. You have, you know, Ray's parents, Fran- Frank and Marie, calling each other old and, and garbage and I can't wait to leave you kind of thing. And, and you have, you know, Deborah's classic lineup calling Ray an, an idiot every time she's walking up, up like their steps. They'll have a fight, trying to get that last word in, idiot. It's so, like, all right, it is everywhere. Nan- Nancy McPhee actually wrote a, wrote a book just full of insults from the 18th and 19th centuries, from, from, from Europe and North America. That's all it is. It's actually, it's fascinating reading. Probably because it's like, I, probably, I know I shouldn't say those things, but that person said it, and I can't believe they said that kind of thing. Check it out. It, it's, it's like on Amazon, if, that, if that's your thing. But it is everywhere. Our natural tendency is to devalue people. Our natural tendency is to put someone down so that you and I feel better. And it's so infused into our culture that we don't even think about it. I call someone dumb every day. It just rolls off of our tongues because that is a natural thing for a sinful heart to do. And Jesus is saying, your heart doesn't have to be this way. Your heart doesn't have to be controlled by anger. Your heart doesn't have to, be, doesn't have to put someone else down to make yourself feel good. That he said there is a better way. Now, if you notice in these verses, in verse, in verse 22, there, there's a progression here. Jesus says anyone who is angry, anyone who insults, anyone who calls them a fool. What Jesus is doing here, he is showing us that, yes, murder happens, A murder is an act, but murder isn't where it starts, right? It starts here in our hearts. And if we're ever going to actually address this issue of anger, if we're ever going to address this issue of harboring bitterness in our hearts, we have to get to the very root of the issue. For those of you with gardens, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're weeding, you don't just like pull off the tops of something. You get in there to grab, grab it down at the root, and that's how you take care of it. That's how you get weeds out of your garden. Jesus here is getting to the, the heart issue, the root issue, where anger actually comes from. And it simply is this is that murder's here, we're going to start here. And the first thing that happens in our hearts that leads to murder is anger that is allowed to harbor in our hearts changes how we feel about other people. Once that tension begins to grow within that relationship and anger turns into bitterness and bitterness turns into contempt, you change the way that you feel about that person. When you see that person walking into the room, you don't smile anymore. You're not excited to see them. Um, they walk in, you might not have eye contact with them. You, you try to avoid, avoid talking to them altogether because you've changed the way that you felt. And how you feel will then impact how you view that person. If bitter, If bitterness and anger rules your heart, the next thing that will happen is that you will begin to view them as less of a person. You will devalue them, even though they are made in the image of God. Even though God has placed them in your life for a purpose and a reason, you will view them as worthless, less of a person. And once we're there, once we view people as less of a person, that will impact how we actually physically treat them, whether verbally or physically. This is where murder happens. This is when physical assault happens. When we view someone as not fully, person, fully human or not a complete person, not a whole person, everything else is now on the table. If you look at that person and says, I don't care what happens to them. I can, do, I can now do whatever I want. Jesus is getting at the heart of the issue here. Anger impacts how I feel. Bitterness impacts how I view them. How I view someone impacts what I I then do to them. Jesus is getting at at the very root of our anger. And Jesus desires that our hearts be protected from bitterness. Jesus is offering a new way of living. He says, listen, I don't want you just to live and harbor anger and bitterness over and over and over again. There is a better way to live. He wants, us, he wants our hearts to be actually protected from that. Now, if you have like, a, like a, an, an oil tanker, a ship docked in a harbor, and that ship has a leak, the longer that ship is there, the more, the more oil is going to come out, the more water is going to be impacted. And so Jesus is saying, the longer that you let anger harbor in your heart, the more of a hold it's going to have on your life. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Say say this last part with me, and give no opportunity to the devil. Church, the longer that we harbor anger within our hearts, the more opportunity we give to Satan to ruin our lives. You're probably thinking right now there are There are relationships that are broken within your life because you have allowed this to happen. I've allowed this to happen. I have a 20-year-old relationship, or barely a relationship, because I've harbored anger in my heart against someone. And when you give Satan the opportunity to let bitterness hold on to your heart, he will bring destruction and ruin each and every time. So Jesus says, let, let that not happen. Now listen, There are, I can't spend a lot more time on anger and bitterness, but I want to give you a couple resources um, just in case you're, you're looking for more. This first one is called Uprooting Anger. Uh, it's by a guy named Robert Jones. This book is an awesome resource when it comes to looking at anger from a biblical perspective. He takes the first couple of chapters. What I love about this, he talks about this thing called righteous anger, and we think that there are certain things, and there are certain things that we can actually be angry for, and it's okay. But most of the anger that we experience is not righteous anger, if we're honest. And he does a great job being able to just work through those details from a very scriptural base. And so, uprooting anger by Robert Jones, In the second book I don't even have a physical copy because I've lent it out, but this book called Total Forgiveness. Um, Total Forgiveness by a gentleman named R.T. Kendall. Um, this has been, Total Forgiveness is one of the top five books that I, probably in my entire lifetime in changing how I view bitterness and forgiveness. It's helped me walk through so many times where I have been hurt and holding on to grudges and bitterness within my life. So R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness, if you like to, if you're just struggling with grudge holding and bitterness in general. Look, we, we, we got to move on here. The second thing that's, Jesus wants for our lives is that he wants, he desires that we pursue peace. Now Jesus now in these next verses actually gives us two excellent real life examples on how to protect our hearts from bitterness. And first we must not simply refrain from violence and verbal assaults. If it was that easy, just don't kill people, don't, don't say mean things against them. That's part of it. But then Jesus goes and says, but there's something active that you can actually do in in your lives right now. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus gives us the first one. And he says this, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, the first illustration here is someone who is giving an offering at the temple. Now remember this is this is still the temple was still there. people would go to to the temple at least twice a year to to give to give sacrifice to God. it was their 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 act of worship that that they were supposed to do. Some of these people traveled eighty hundred miles away, so they took off time from their work they they had to travel there they had to wait in these long lines to actually sacrifice. I'm not sure I never really really thought of that until this week. I thought it was just like a you know you just go there and and bing, bam, boom, it's done. You had to wait in lines. This this altar was in the inner courts of the temple, which meant that you're standing there waiting for you to give your sacrifice while other people are doing the same exact thing. So he says, while you're waiting in line, while you've already traveled to to the temple, while you've already purchased your animal, while you're waiting in line, if you remember that you've wronged someone, not that they've wronged you, if you've wronged them, you leave your sacrifice, you leave your offering, and you go make it right. Jesus is speaking to people from Galilee that are 80 miles away from from the temple. So that means you are leaving that line, traveling back home, making it right, then coming back. And we don't do sacrifices today, but it would almost be like if you're at your wedding or if you're doing an important presentation at work, and in the midst of of that presentation, you remember that you've wronged someone you stop that presentation. You you excuse yourself from all all of the CEOs and bosses that are there and you go make it right and then you come back. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, you pursue peace. Listen, I can't tell you how many times that things, Sunday morning, Satan always does this to our family, I feel like Sunday mornings or or like Saturday nights where there's some kind of Tension there and things are left undone, and we didn't apologize. Normally, me doing the apologizing. Um, and the next morning, I get up and I go to church and say, I have more important things to do. I'm doing God's work today and leave things left at home that, that, that should have been resolved. Or, how often have you guys, you know, on, on your way to church, that car ride there, and you're fighting about something and you you're, you're angry and you're upset and you, and you park and you close the door and you put your smiles on and you come to church because this is a good thing to do. And you, don't, you, and you never address that conflict that, that you had beforehand. And you put, your, you put your mask on and everything's fine. It's going to be okay. You hold, you hold your wife's hand and you, and you come into church. And Jesus is saying here that pursuing peace and all these things this is more important than offering sacrifice. It's more important that you make things right with each other than coming in and doing the Lord's work. Don't you dare try to ignore what's going on and say, I'm just going to do this instead and make yourself feel better because I'm doing something that God wants me to do. God wants you to make things right. 1 Samuel 15, says, To obey is better than sacrifice. God sees our hearts and he wants us to obey his commands more than coming and giving sacrifice or serving at church or attending a service, or whatever that may be. Jesus is getting at here that pursuing peace means making the first move. See, from that text, it doesn't say that if you're in line going for sacrifice, and someone comes up and says, man, you've really done something to me, and we need to work this out. It's you making the first move, you going to them. and That is crazy hard. That is crazy difficult, but that is what God is calling us to do. Jesus is saying, he's calling us to examine our own hearts. Would I be willing to do this? Would I be willing to stop what I'm doing and go make something right? Does our heart long for reconciliation? Have I done everything that I can to make that situation better? Do we, refuse to, do, we, do we refuse in our hearts to substitute ritual behaviors for genuine acts of love? Do we mourn over the fact that we've hurt our brother to the point that he, has, that he is facing anger and harboring things in his heart against us? Do we have that kind of heart to go and make things right? And secondly, quickly as we just wrap up, Matthew 5, 25, and 26, Jesus gives us one more illustration here. He says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. And Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus gives us one more illustration. If, you are, if you've wronged someone to the point where they are suing you, they're taking you to court, he says, this is what I want you to do, that even on the way there, even on the way to courts, you continue to pursue peace and reconciliation with them. Let's be honest, that is not, the, that is not our natural tendency, right? Someone sues me, I'm going to lawyer up, and it's on. Someone sues me, I'm going to get super defensive and say, if you're going to take my house, I'm going to take your house with me. And Jesus says, listen, you pursue peace. You own, you own as much as you can, as quickly as you can to that problem. Whatever you did, you own it, and, and, and you don't say, well, I did this because you did that. That is not an apology. Don't, don't say, well, I, I did this to you because you, you did that to me. That's not making reconciliation. You own what you can, all that you can, as quickly as you can to make to bring peace to that situation. Romans 12:18 As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And listen, Jesus isn't guaranteeing that you go to that person that it's going to be made right. It doesn't mean that if you ask for forgiveness that they're actually going to extend it as well. But as much as you and I can control, let's do this. Let's make things right. Cuz pursuing peace invites God's power into the conflict. He says, when you obey me, when you go and pursue peace and reconciliation, you're inviting God to come in and do what he does best, to work in hearts, to change situations, to turn darkness into light. Guys, I've seen it done. And Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Paul is reminding, listen, we serve a God that can do great, great, big, and awesome things. And when we pursue reconciliation and peace, we're inviting that power into that situation instead of just doing the natural thing of lawyering up and going through the consequences of going to court. Because once we get to court, whatever happens, there happens. Jesus is saying, try and push for peace first. So guys, I just want to finish up literally with just this one statement. God desires us to be protected from anger and be pursuers of peace. This is what God desires for our hearts, guys. I don't know about you. I have lived with anger and bitterness for far too long. I have let it ruin my own heart. I have let it impact my health. I have let it ruin relationships. But Jesus today is offering a better way. Jesus today is offering that your heart does not have to be controlled by anger. That every, that every time you're with that person, you're not thinking of the next insult or, or the, next, the next verbal assault just to make yourself feel better. There is a better way to live. And listen, I'm not saying what happened to you and why you're angry and why you're bitter. I'm not saying that that isn't important. God, guys, our past, our stories, our pain are, are significant parts of who we are, but they do not determine how we act from this day forward. Pursuing peace invites God into conflicts that we may have never invited him into before. So as I just invite the praise him up, I wanna, I wanna encourage you to, you to do three things. One is that And it may already be happening that you confront your sin. Confront the anger that's in your hearts. I feel like I got beat up this week. In a good way. It's a good thing. But God used his spirit and his word to confront the sin that's already there. Second thing I want you to do is I want you you to confide in your Savior. Guys, this is hard work. This is weighty stuff. And you may be thinking, there is no way I can make amends with that person after what they've done to me. John 6, 28, the people are asking Jesus, what can we do to do the the works of God? And Jesus says, you believe in me. You have confidence that I can change your heart. You have confidence I can work in that situation. And And you bring that before the Lord today. And secondly, you commit to obey what God has called you to do. As God works in your heart, as God speaks to your heart, and then God brings people and relationships to your mind, commit to be pursuers of peace today. Own all that you can as quickly as you can. And let's see how God works within our hearts. So if there's people you gotta you gotta see, phone calls you need to make, letters you need to write, let's do it. Let's commit ourselves to protecting our hearts and pursuing the peace that God wants us to have with others. Let me pray for you. We're going to sing. God, Lord, I just, again, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, for the reminder, God, that our sins have been taken care of, God, that you have paid the penalty for it, Lord, and you want us to live lives free of anger and guilt and bitterness. God, I pray for our people today. God, many of them struggling with what to do next. Many of them who have had years and years of grudge holding and bitterness harboring in their hearts. But God, it doesn't have to be that way. And God, the first step in ridding themselves of that bitterness is simply making that phone call, writing that letter, and seeing what you, what you will do. God, I thank you, Lord, that we're not doing this alone. That we're doing this with your son, Jesus, who, who offers life And peace, God, that passes all understanding and courage. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of our people, in my hearts today, God. May we be pursuers of peace and experience the life that you you have for us to live. We thank you, God, for, for the power to do it. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.